morning. Have a seat, please. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 6. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that uh, yesterday uh, we were able to move all of our things out of that apartment finally into a house, and uh, so we were very excited about that. Thanks. We had some, some great help, and, and thanks to uh, the men and women who helped us get moved in and all of that good stuff. Very tired today. Uh, I've got this muscle running up my forearm on both sides that is so tired from like gripping onto things and screwdrivers and all that good stuff. Plenty of things still to do, but uh, we're so excited to be in our house. Jenny and I, last night before we went to bed, we were, we were praying together, and we were just talking about how thankful we are to be here and just really believe this is where God has called us and uh, we, we feel like we've got some more permanence in our life now. And we were also reminded of one thing, that it's going to take a lot for you guys to get rid of us because we have no desire to ever move again. So uh, we've done enough moving, and so, uh, but, we, but we are. We are very thankful to be here. Um, also, I, I just wanted to just take a moment today to say thank you because you might recall uh, about six, seven weeks ago, right as we were beginning our financial series entitled 101080, uh, we, we took some time in a message and then we actually had a family meeting after one of the services where we just kind of talked about kind of the, the state of the church, where we were as a church and some of the financial challenges that were currently in front of us as a church and with the economy going the direction it is. Uh, just a reminder of the importance of giving sacrificially. It takes everyone, everyone's part. It's not about an equal gift. It's just about equal sacrifices. And I want you to know that this past Thursday night, our elder team and our board team, we sat together and we looked at how this church and how you people have been giving over the last six, seven weeks. And we are completely overwhelmed and thankful by how God has been working through your families uh, to give and to order to meet every need. And we have gone over and above even in some of our weeks and our giving. And so just a big thanks to Genesis Church and to God uh, for being so good and for providing. And uh, let's, let's keep up the strong work because we know that God's going to do some great things and He's going to do those things as we just continue to sacrifice uh, with those gifts that He's already given to us. But, but great job to you, Genesis Church, and thanks for your faithfulness. Uh, we've been in this series entitled Advance, and a couple of weeks ago I was preaching, and we started in Acts chapter 6. Uh, now you might recall the book of Acts is a history book. It's a story of the early church, beginning with Jesus' ascension into heaven in Acts chapter 1. It's the story of this early church and how it came together in Jerusalem uh, through the work of the disciples and the people who were coming into the church to make a difference in Jerusalem and then beyond Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is this account of the early church as it was growing. And by the time we reach Acts chapter 6, the first church was growing, and it was growing very rapidly. The Bible says that the number of disciples was increasing, and that where people were giving their life to Jesus and were joining this community of believers. But in Acts chapter 6, there was a problem. It was one of the first major problems that this church in Acts, the book of Acts, had to face, and that is that the widows living in and around Jerusalem were poor. They didn't have enough to get by. There, there were women who had no husbands, uh, maybe had no family to take care of them, and they didn't have food. And it wasn't simply a money thing. They just didn't have anything to eat. And they relied on others to provide for their daily needs, but these needs were going unmet. And when these needs went unmet, it became obvious that the church should step up to the occasion and respond to this great need. And so the leaders of the, of the church here in Acts chapter 6 appointed seven men 
to lead and to organize an effort to reach these people. Seven men called by the leaders of the church to step forward and organize this effort to help meet this unmet need of women not being fed in the community. Each person, each man had a name. Each person had a story. Each person had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and when called upon, they stepped forward to address this great need. They gave of their time and their talents to serve through their church to help meet the needs of this community. And the result was this, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The text says it. The word of God spread. It's the advance. You know, due to the willing hearts of men and women stepping up their desire and their willingness to give of their time and their talents to serve, the word of God spread. The word of God advanced beyond the walls of the church. The number of people surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ increased rapidly, all because of a great song. Uh, maybe it was just the right teaching series, or it was a really cool building. It wasn't any of those. It was people who were giving of their time, men and women, stepping forward, ready and willing to serve. I like how Richard Foster says it. He writes, there's a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. When I choose to serve, I retain control about who I serve. But when I choose to be a servant, I have given up all rights and all control. A servant, he says. It's what you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, have been called to do. We've been called to serve. Jesus came to serve. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Let's read it together. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus taught servant living, but He did more than that. More importantly, He modeled servant living. You know, it's easier to follow a teacher who is willing to live what they teach. And as Jesus served, so he has called us to do the same. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You know, you and I have been gifted by God. The Bible teaches us that we have been gifted, that the Holy Spirit has placed in each of us these gifts that we are to use to spread God's grace <coughs> excuse me, in various forms. And when God created you, when He knit you together in your mother's womb, He created you in such a way, as odd and unique as you may be, He created you in such a way with these gifts so that you could share His grace with others. And whether you're administrative or whether you're creative or whether you're musical or maybe you love kids, God has given each of us gifts and they're inside of us and He's waiting for us to use them. Well, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he left the following instructions for his people, for his church, and for this Genesis community. These were the final words for us as followers and for this church. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples. You know, that, that's about enough. 
You know, yesterday, Joe Tiller coached his last football game at Purdue. I can only imagine that as he sat with his football players in that locker room before they emerged out onto the field, he had specific words that he shared with them about how he wanted them to play and what he felt like the future of the program and the team would look like even without him being there. And my guess is that that wasn't something that he just thought about as he was driving in the car to the game yesterday morning. He probably scripted those words and planned for those words to share them at just the right moment. And I believe Jesus had done the same. He knew what he wanted to leave with his team for his church as he was ascending into heaven. And he said, therefore, go and make disciples. And so what does Jesus think? You know, I think he'd say something like this. I don't care how you decide to do it. I don't care what your building looks like or what worship style you choose or whether you have a website or not. Serve those in your community. Tell people about me. You figure out the best way to do this as a church and in your life, and here's the best part of it all. If you are faithful in doing this as individuals and as a church, I will give you the power to actually make you effective. In Acts chapter 8, or verse, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said this, but you will receive power. You will receive the dunamis. You will receive the dynamite. You will receive the Holy Spirit upon you when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> this verse promises the power. It promises the Holy Spirit. It's also a plan of progression to start in Jerusalem, expand into the suburbs of Judea and Samaria, and then take the message of hope and salvation to the rest of the world. And as a Genesis community, we're a part of the ends of the earth stuff. That, that's the portion that is still being fulfilled because of what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. This community, this county, this is where God has planted you and me. It's where he had planted this church. We have a purpose for being here. Your job didn't bring you here. God brought you here for a reason. God planted this church here for a reason. You were not born here by accident. God has you and I in this community for one reason. And I believe 2 Corinthians 5.20 says it best. Here's our role. Here's our purpose. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. That's you and me. We are Christ's ambassadors here in this community, in this county. An ambassador is a, a specific person, a representative or a promoter of a specific group of people or an activity. You and I are ambassadors of Jesus Christ here in this community. And what does that look like for you and me? Well, it means when you go to school, you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. It means when you go to a party with your friends, as followers of Jesus, you are an ambassador of him. Parents, when you go out to your kid's soccer game and you cheer for them while they're out on the field or you're yelling at the official, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. When you cut a business deal with someone, you, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Men, when you're with a woman who is not your wife, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. When you're standing in the driveway talking to your next door neighbor, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And as ambassadors, we're servants. We serve. 
We serve Christ in our everyday life, in everything that we do, whenever we're moving and being, we're servants. And servants represent Jesus in every aspect and detail of life. And the question is, what is God waiting to do with His ambassadors and His servants? What's God waiting to do through you and me? Well, it's in the second half of the verse. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. Do you get that? That's why Jesus has not yet come back. Because He is still making His appeal through you. We, we have to own that. We, we have to be motivated by that. We have to be scared out of our mind by that. That as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, God is making His appeal, not through me, not just through me, but through you, through each of us in everything that we do. The question is, how would you live differently every day if you lived fully aware of this truth? Last week, Steve Wallen talked about what it means uh, to serve, to be a servant, and how that specifically applies to the programs and the ministries of this church. Uh, and if you missed it, I would encourage you to pick up a CD back at the Info Hub or, or go online and you can listen to that message. But as we wrap up this series today, I want to conclude by talking about what it means to be a servant outside of the walls of this church. It's the everyday living kind of a thing. And truthfully, I think it might be even more important than what happens here on Sundays. And that is, what does it mean to serve outside of this place? Well, in Acts chapter 6 and 7, if we go back to the text again, you'll remember there were these volunteers in Acts chapter 6. Philip was one of them. Stephen was another. Uh, Do you know the story of Stephen? There were these people who hated the church during this time, and they hated Christians. Uh, They hated the followers of Jesus. And Stephen took the serving thing very seriously, even beyond this, this food drive kind of a deal. And he was arrested and tried before the Sanhedrin, which was a Jewish court of sorts during this time. And the Sanhedrin viewed Christianity as a threat to their way of living. And so if you read Acts chapter 7, and I would encourage you to do that on your own time, you'll find that it ends with Stephen being stoned. All right, they threw rocks at him and they killed him because of his passion and because of the way that he lived. Well, one of the freedoms that we enjoy in this country today is that we don't have to live with such radical threats, do we? Now, it is true, and I believe that it is so, that the hostility towards Christians and the church is on the increase today, but we have it so good compared to other parts of of this world. Back in 2001, I had the privilege of traveling with a group of Christian basketball players to Kazakhstan. And we were there for about a week, and we had the, the chance to meet some of the other missionaries around Kazakhstan, as well as some of the people. And one of the missionaries that we met was a guy by the name of Dima. And Dima lived in the country of Tajikistan, which is real close by. Well, Tajikistan is not anywhere as free religiously as Kazakhstan is. They're pretty tolerant to most faiths, at least at this time. Tajikistan is a little bit more radical Muslim Well, Dima grew up in a Muslim home, but in his teens, he actually surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And this one particular night while we were in Kazakhstan, he told this story about giving his life to Jesus and what that meant for him and how that changed him. But he also told the story of what it meant the day that he told his dad that he had actually given his life to Jesus. And he described it only in this way, and it was absolutely silent in the room. 
his father threw him down on the ground, threw Dima down on the ground and took out an axe and held it up in the air ready to chop off his head. But for whatever reason, he relented at the last moment and let his son go free. And that really is only the beginning of the story of what Dima faces every day. His church meets in a different location every week in order that they wouldn't be found out. He's been arrested. He's been threatened for what he believes. You and I, we don't have to deal with that. You know, the persecution that we face isn't anywhere close to what they face in some of the other regions. Well, this death of Stephen here in Acts chapter 7 unleashed this great persecution towards the church and to these followers of Jesus. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. It says, and Saul was there, and that's another story within itself. Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles, and so this is Philip and and some others, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word, wherever they went. Now, this word scattered here is not a good thing. Okay, these people are running for their life. They have now lost their home. They've lost their well-being. They've lost their jobs and maybe even their families because of what they believe, and that's because they believe in Jesus. And so they are on the run. They are in hiding now. They are exiles because of their beliefs, and so they're running for their life. They grabbed their kids. They took as much money as they could, and they went into hiding. But look at the last half of that verse. What did they do even in the midst of their running? They preached the word wherever they went. Servants, ambassadors of Jesus Christ, even in the worst period that they probably had ever faced, they couldn't help but share the name of Jesus. And so here was, here's what I was thinking over this past week. It, I, I was thinking a little bit about what it means for you and I to kind of live the same way. What does it mean for you and me to go and to preach the word of Jesus wherever we go? Even in the good, even in the bad. What does it mean to live for Jesus? What does it mean to be a servant outside of the walls of this church? And how do we preach the word wherever we go? And the first thing that I thought of is this, that if we want to do this, if we want to live like this, that we have to be very intentional in all of our relationships. That we have to be very intentional in all of our relationships. Matthew uh, was a tax collector in the Bible, and after accepting Jesus' call to become one of his followers, Matthew decided to do whatever he could to bring along as many of his friends as possible. And so he threw a party, and in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, he threw this big party at his house, threw a barbecue, and he invited Jesus to come and to eat with his friends that didn't know him. And so they had this big party because Matthew relied on the relationships in his life and he sought to further develop these relationships because of what he knew, because of what he believed, because of what he had inside of him. He couldn't help but I've got to get this to my friends. And so he invited them into his home, he spent time with them and he ate with them and he did all of this because he genuinely cared about people. Relationships are so important. I mean, they are so important, and the vantage of a, relation, of a friendship is that it, it gives you the highest possibility of influence with someone. And if you're, sit, if you're willing to sit and to be a friend and to listen to them, you're going to gain influence in their lives. 
And so how, how important are relationships to you? How many friends do you have on Facebook, you know? You know, do you thrive on meeting as many people as you can? You know, maybe you're one that just appreciates just a few relationships. You know, there's nothing wrong with, with either. But, but here's a thought I had. What if you and I became a little bit more intentional about the people that are in our life right now and maybe even more so about the people that we come into contact with every single day? Because I have to be honest and say that it's not always been easy for me to share my faith. You know, whenever our youth group would go out and our youth pastor would like unleash us somewhere and say, hey, go just walk up to people on the street and preach the word of God to them, I didn't do it. It didn't feel right to me. It never felt right. And you know, I understand that there may be in a time and occasion for that, but we, we can't just live with these blinders on that, well, that's the only way to do it. And if I'm not willing to do that, I don't want to force that upon someone, then there's no other way to share my faith. There is another way to share your faith. Go out and build intentional relationships with people. Let God work in the midst of those relationships and he'll open up the door for you to talk more. I mean, I love to do it through sports. I love to get out into the community and play basketball with men in this community because I get two things out of it. I get to play basketball and get some great exercise, but it's also a way to meet people and to build friendships with others. When I was living in Michigan, I, I played on this softball team, and half the softball team were made up of guys who went to church. Half of the softball team was made up of guys who didn't go to church. We played in a bar league. Some of the best softball played are played in bar league, so we played in a bar league. But I'll remember what happened when the one guy on our team gave his life to Christ and how exciting that was for those guys who were a part of the church. It was a great thing. I mean, what can you do? You know, how can you embrace this call to be a servant, to become a little bit more intentional with your relationships? Well, maybe it's through sports. You know, maybe it's through your bunco group. You know, maybe it's through a, a play group that you have with other moms. Maybe it's just simply a more of an awareness thing that as you interact with people in the community, whether it be the person that you're buying your gas from or the person that's serving you your cheeseburger, that you're just intentional about just getting to know them. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to get into a life story right there over a cheeseburger, but, you know, ask them how their day's going. And what would happen if you and I took the time to get to know the names of all of the neighbors that lived around us? and their kids? Or what would happen if you asked your neighbor to join your small group? Or, or maybe you would be very intentional about meeting all of your employees or your coworkers and have lunch with them and get to know them. Because here's the thing, and I don't know if you realize this or not, but people are lonely. People are lonely today because we communicate with one another through electrical devices and then we pull into our driveways and into our garages and shut the doors and we never get to know the people around us. And there are people who are lonely and here's what I believe, that God is big enough and complex enough to put people into your life on purpose. I'm going to say that again, that God is big enough and complex enough to put people into your life on purpose. And that doesn't mean that your coworker is going to ask you about Jesus over lunch number two, all right? It doesn't mean that. But when you become intentional and when you begin to back those actions up with prayer, I believe that you might be surprised to find what God might want to do. And at the same time, you might meet some fascinating people along the way who will teach you a little bit more about life and the way that you live. 
And so I think if we become a little bit more intentional with our relationships, I think there's another thing that we can do as servants outside of the walls of this church, and that's just to find a place to serve in the community. I mean, to serve outside of the walls of this place. There's this lady in the Bible, her name was Dorcas, and she couldn't do anything about her name. That's just what her parents named her. They called her Dorcas. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, it says that Dorcas was always doing good and helping the poor. She was known for her acts of service. She made robes and clothing and, uh, for widows and other people in town. She was a servant. And maybe this is you. Because I've interacted with some of you here that you just have this written all over you. That you just, you can't help serve. You thrive on opportunities to serve. You see a need and you go right after it. And here's the great thing about serving. When you serve someone else, you touch them deeply. You know, I'll remember a time that our next door neighbors, uh, they had a baby. Their baby was born prematurely, and so they were in the hospital for a couple of months. And we mowed their yard for them one day. And they came home. They couldn't handle it. I, I really don't think that they were able to deal with the fact that we had done that. It was so easy to do. Our yards weren't that big. And we thought, well, we'll mow their yard for them one day. But, but they couldn't handle it because it touches people deeply. And, and you may not have the desire to, to teach the doctrine of, Trinity, of the Trinity to people or, or even to figure out how to share your faith or to have the courage to share with your faith with others, but you can serve someone else. You know how to help others and it motivates you. And so here's what I'm going to give you permission to do. I'm going to give you permission to serve outside of the walls of this church to go find an opportunity to serve, to serve others in the name of Jesus. Go and volunteer at a pregnancy center. Go volunteer for Habitat for Humanity and help build a house for someone who's getting their very first house. Go help out with the Deer Creek Community Church Christmas that's coming up and the opportunities that we have to serve there. We've got some information in the atrium. Sign up to work at the Boys and Girls Club. Become a big brother or a big sister. Go volunteer in the school system. There are opportunities to sit down and to read with a kid. Or you can rake a long jump pit this, this spring when track season starts. Make a meal for a, for a new family in your community. Our next door neighbor walked over yesterday and brought us a, a, brought us a fresh plate of muffins. You know, it was a great treat this morning, you know, when I woke up. And mow the yard for your neighbor without them even knowing about it. Offer to babysit for a new set of parents or for a single mom and then refuse payment. And when you do it, regardless of what you do, whether they even know about it or not, just do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Because you know that as he has served for us, he's called us to do the same. Jenny and I, we served as a part of this uh, service project uh, in Louisville where we were cleaning up a city park. And many from our church on this one particular Saturday afternoon went into an inner city and uh, we raked uh, the yard with leaves and we painted basketball goals and repaired fences. And as we served all day long, more and more of the community started to come into the park. And I remember on this particular day as we finished, uh, a 12-year-old boy said to one of the volunteers, you know, with this great smile on his face, he says, you know what you guys need to do? Next Saturday, you need to go on down the street to Victory Park because if you went down there and cleaned up that park, maybe there wouldn't be so many people getting shot down there. Because when we serve, there's this hope that's delivered that maybe things can be different, that maybe something can change. And something happens, you know, lives are changed and this hope becomes a possibility and the Word of God is preached. James chapter 1 verse 25 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so I believe, I think that we can become servants as Jesus has commanded us to do outside of the walls of this church by being intentional in our relationships, by finding places and opportunities to serve in this community, but there is something that everyone has to be prepared for as you do this. And that is that you've got to be prepared to share your story. This is about knowing why you believe why you do. It's you knowing why you live the way that you live. The blind man healed by Jesus in John chapter 9 had something in his life worth talking about. He'd been blind since birth and all of that changed the day that Jesus gave him his sight. And no sooner was he able uh, to see than he was thrust in front of a hostile crowd, a hostile audience, and they demanded that he explain to them how he was able to receive his sight. And he said this, all I know is this, I was blind and now I see that my life has radically been transformed because of the presence of Jesus living in me. And here's the thing, we live in this world today that some smart people call a postmodern world. And it's this world where truth is questioned And many wonder whether you really can know and believe that there is a truth and absolutes are thrown out the window. But there's one thing that no one can ever question or take away from you in your life, and it's this, that's your story. No one can challenge what Jesus Christ has done in you and why you are different because of it. And I believe that there are people who need to hear how God is working in your life. They need to hear your example. They need to hear your story because it's so important. And you may say, hey, I really don't have much of a story. You know, I had great parents. We grew up going to church. I was 10 years old when I walked forward. I was baptized. You know, I went to college. I lived a pretty good life. I got married. I go to church every Sunday. What's so exciting about my story? I'll tell you. What's exciting about your story? You've been changed. The blood of Jesus Christ has changed you. His redemption has been extended to you. You have been forgiven. You have a hope and a reason to live today in this earth, on this earth, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And that can never be taken away from you. The book of Philippians says that you are citizens of heaven when you give your life to Jesus Christ. And one day you're going to die and they're going to put you in a box and they're going to lower you into the ground and people are going to cry. But here's the best part of the story. You're not going to be in that box. You're already going to have passed on to this new life with Jesus Christ because you have been changed. And whether your story is exciting or whether your story doesn't seem so exciting, no one can take away the fact that you are a citizen of Jesus Christ. You are a citizen of heaven. You have a hope and a reason to live that is greater than anything on this earth. And so here's your homework. I'm giving you homework this week. You've got something to work on this week. What's your story? Now you think about how to tell your story. Because as you start interacting with people and as you start serving with people and you're getting prayed up and you're thinking, okay, God, use me, use me, use me. I'm going to get to know this person, this person. You know, I'm going to be genuine in everything that I do. One of these days, somebody's going to ask you, why are you different? And that's the moment that you're going to need to be ready to tell your story about why you're different. 
First Peter chapter 4, verse 15 says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Are you ready? Are you ready to share your story of what Jesus has done with you? Because one day that guy from your softball team is going to ask you why you don't talk badly about your wife. Or one day your coworker is going to ask you, why is it that you don't seem to get all freaked out about the economy and talks about downsizing? Or one day your classmate is going to walk up to you and ask you why you talk differently than everyone else. And one day the neighbor lady is going to ask you why your home always seems to be so happy. And it's in that moment when the Holy Spirit has prepared everyone and prepared the occasion just right that you must be ready to share the reason for the hope that you have. There was a young couple that I had the privilege of getting to know when we were serving at a church in Michigan. And Sean and Lori uh, found out that they were expecting. And as for any young parent, this was very exciting news, and they shared it with people at church. And, you know, they went through all of the, you know, uh, the doctor's visits and, you know, the first ultrasound and all this good stuff. But about halfway into the pregnancy, they received some news that no, one, no parent ever wants to receive, and that was that there was a problem. And what they learned is that their baby, who was obviously still inside of the body of Lori at this time, uh, was was had this condition, this very rare condition. And, and here's what it involved, that if the baby survived full term and was born, that it, it would not live, or it had very, very uh, minimal chances of living because this baby had a condition whereby the organs, the abdominal organs, were all growing outside of its body. And so Sean and Lori had a very difficult decision to make. They had to make the decision whether they wanted to terminate the pregnancy or go all the way through to the very end. And as followers of Jesus Christ, they believed with all of their heart that this baby was a gift from God, that anything is possible with God. And so they continued on all throughout the pregnancy. And, and they were hopeful and they prayed and we prayed for them. And the day finally arrived when the baby came into the world and this little baby boy was born. And sure enough, as the doctors had explained the organs were growing outside uh, of the stomach wall. And so this baby was very delicately taken care of. And immediately on that first day, uh, the decisions, the plans had already been made that little by little, the doctors would perform these procedures every day to try and push the organs back into the abdominal wall. And, and, and something very minute of how much they could push every day. And so the baby actually survived for a week. And I think it was finally into week two that that baby wasn't strong enough. He wasn't able to go anymore. The doctors had done all that they could. And he passed away and he went on to heaven. And I remember being there with Sean and Lori just the day before their little boy died. And uh, they couldn't imagine any other sight. They couldn't imagine not having met this little boy. And they loved him and they cared for him. And they were, uh, you know, as much as they hated to see him go, they knew he was going to heaven. And I remember talking with Lori before the funeral service started. That's a tough funeral to do, a funeral for a baby like that, but even tougher for parents to lose a child. Some of you know what that's like. And I remember talking with Lori, and I said, Lori, you seem so strong. I mean, how in the world are you making sense of this? What's getting you by? And she said, well, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. She said, you see, there was this website that I found 
right after I learned about this condition that our baby had. And it was a website for mothers and fathers who, who had children with this condition or were just learning that their babies were going to have this condition. And th- this website had this, this um, place where, um, this like chat rooms where, where moms could communicate with one another. And it was through those chat rooms that she was being encouraged by other mothers who had walked through this with their babies and even seen their babies survived. And so they encouraged one another and prayed for each other and shared with one another. And she said, that helped me get through. But she says, here's what's working for me now. I'm still going into that chat room every day because every day there's a new mother who's learning of this condition that her child is going to be born with. And she said, and I'm able to encourage them and pray with them and tell them my story because it's the only thing that can make sense of this situation for me. Can you imagine living just like that? that your story of what Jesus Christ has done for you is so great that regardless of the situation that you find yourself in, you can do nothing but share the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have here in Acts. Let me finish up with this. Acts 8, 4 again. It says, So they were scattered... Regardless of the situation, they preached the word of God wherever they went, and then skip down to verses 7 and 8. It says, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. Okay, this is Philip and Samaria. I should have explained all that. We'll just skip over that. The the best part is verse 8, which I left off. Listen to these words. So there was great joy in that city. Philip fled to Samaria. He preached the word of God wherever he went, and there was great joy in that city. So it's you and me. It's this mission that God has left us with that we're calling advance. It's spreading the word of God wherever we go in every situation of life, with friends and neighbors and coworkers, serving one another, and believing that we're here on purpose. Someone pointed out to me that there's a sign as you go into Noblesville. I found it kind of interesting. Serving Noblesville one person at a time. I think we could live by that too. And we can extend that to Fishers and to Sheridan and to Westfield and to Carmel. But if we embrace that mission as ambassadors of Jesus Christ to serve one person at a time by being intentional in our relationships, by serving our communities, and by always being ready to share our story. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for giving us a reason to live in this world. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you right here in this community. And we just pray that you'd give us the power and strength to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.